So today we celebrate the great feast of transfiguration, uh, on, in which, as we just heard, the disciples, uh, uh, Peter, James, and John, were taken up by Jesus into the mountain where he was transfigured before them. And he shone as white as, as well, my, my favorite gospel line is, uh, his clothes were shone whiter than any laundry detergent could make them. Paraphrasing just a little bit there, but... Um, uh, so, uh, and what I want to share with you this, this morning is something I have to admit I'm a little reluctant to share, mostly because it's something that I am still, I, I don't want to give any kind of mistaken impression that I have in any way attained to what I want to share. But I, I and, and it's something I'm still learning. The, it's, I mean, one of the amazing things about being Orthodox and being on this journey in the Orthodox faith is we're always learning. And, and this is what re- reduces some of my hesitation in sharing this because, because we're always learning. This is, this is our, our journey that we are on. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, there are things that I, I even wrote about right at the beginning of my journey into orthodoxy. And then I look back on it 10 years later and say, oh, yeah, that was very true. And now I'm just starting to learn the truth of that experientially. Uh, and, and so, uh, what I want to uh, share with you is a, a bit from the uh, the um, conferences of St. John Cassian, which we've been studying on Wednesdays, uh, which uh, references the Transfiguration. Uh, and this is from uh, Abba Isaac, who is in his second conference on prayer. Uh, and he's he's just given um, uh, his first conference of prayer, which has totally excited uh, St. John Cassian and his, and his friend Germanus. Uh, and and they're, they're totally looking forward to uh, having th- this uh, kind of unpacked, what, what, what he told them in the first conference, unpacked here in the second. And this, this paragraph here is kind of the unpacking of that. And, and it, it, there's a, so there's a lot here. Uh, and, and it's, of course, about prayer. And, uh, but in this section, he references the transfiguration. And so I'll, I'll, I'll read it, and then we'll try and dive into it a little bit. He says, For according to the measure of its purity, as I said in the former conference, each mind is both raised and molded in its prayers if it forsakes the consideration of earthly and material things so far as the condition of its purity may carry it forward and enable it with the inner eyes of the soul to see Jesus either still in his humility and in the flesh, or glorified and coming in the glory of his, her majesty, his majesty. For those cannot see Jesus coming in his kingdom, who are still kept back in a state of weakness, and cannot say with the apostle, if we have known Christ after the flesh, yet, we, yet now we know him so no more, but only those can look with purest eyes on his Godhead who rise with him from low and earthly works and thoughts and go apart in the mountain, in the lofty mountain of solitude, which is free from the disturbance of all earthly thoughts and troubles and secure from the interference of all sins and being exalted by pure faith and the heights of virtue reveals the glory of his face and the image of his splendor to those who are able to look on him with pure eyes of the soul. That's all one sentence. Uh, so, and I actually, as as a student and lover of of, of literature, I actually really love long sentences. 
uh, I, I kind of am sad about the, the uh, they do require a lot more concentration than, you know, the nice short sentences of Ernest Hemingway. Uh, uh, but, but you can pack a lot of stuff into one sentence. And then as you have it in one single sentence, one single statement, uh, you, you can start to see all the different interconnections here. And, and in this one sentence, uh, Abba Isaac basically summarizes, as I say, the entirety of the first conference and talks about how we can attain to prayer. Now, one thing to keep in mind whenever we're reading any of this monastic literature is it's written by monks for monks. Uh, and they don't have kids who are running around distracting them. Uh, that's the, uh, and so we do have to as we are appropriating the truths in here, we do have to, those of us who are still in the world, which is, I think, all of us here, uh, we do have to kind of filter it and sort through it and, and kind of um, uh, consider what the truths are that are being related here that we can apply in our lives. Uh, but let's, let's start with, with uh, clause by clause. So according to the measure of its purity, it here being the mind, uh, He says, each mind is both raised and molded in its prayers if it forsakes the consideration of earthly and material things so far as the condition of its purity may carry it forward and enable the inner eyes of the soul to see Jesus. Let's pause there, to see Jesus. Um, So our minds are, well, they're a bit of a mess. We have all sorts of things coming in and bombarding our mind from, you know, the daily uh, uh, obligations of our daily life, uh, just work and relationships and stuff like that, uh, to all of the uh, sort of media influences that are coming in on us, uh, which the monks wouldn't at least have to worry about actually most of those things. But even in the monastic setting, the mind still needs purification. You, you, can't, you can go into a monastery and still be thinking about whatever you like. Uh, you, just because that it's, a, it's, a, it's a situation where, where, where that, that is promoting prayer doesn't mean you're actually attaining prayer. Uh, and so the, the battle, as always, begins in the mind. And our goal is to purify our minds. As the apostle says, we want to take every thought into captivity to Christ, which means that we are, as, we, as we are uh, just going through the day with our thoughts rattling around in our heads, we should be always cognizant of the fact that we are in the presence of God, that God is here and he sees our thoughts. It's a very scary thought to me, <laughs> but, but it's true. Uh, and, and so we should be purifying our minds. And, um, and one of the ways to do that, one of the ways to raise up our minds and to mold it, is prayer. So there's this interaction between the purity of the mind and the prayer that goes back and forth. So the, as, as we pray, we are focusing our mind on God. We are fo- focusing our mind on his goodness. We are focusing our mind on his holiness. And that helps to purify our mind. It helps to give us focus. Uh, and so th- there's, this, there's this back and forth here of, of prayer raising and molding the mind and the purity of the mind assisting the prayer. And to jump forward to the end of the sentence, one of the things that really struck me, and it's kind of maybe the, the, the main focus, if, if you want to get 
just one thing out of this that I want, I want us to take away here is when, when he like finally gets to the, to the end of this, uh, of the sentence, uh, he says that, um, uh, he talks about being, going up into, apart uh, in, uh, into the lofty mountain of solitude, which is free from the disturbance of all earthly thoughts and troubles and secure from the interference of all sins and being exalted by pure faith and the heights of virtue reveals the glory of his face and the image of his splendor who are, uh, for those who are able to look on him with the pure eyes of the soul. So there, there's three or more things here that, 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 he, that he mentions uh, that um, th- as we go apart into the lofty mountain of his solitude, this is, of course, a reference to the transfiguration, which, which becomes clearer. Um, well, it, it, it's clear right from the beginning because it, uh, he begins with according to the measure of its purity. And what did we hear? In the, in the hymns for transfiguration, we heard, you revealed your glory to your disciples as far as they could bear it, as far as they could see it. And this is the, 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 this is the amazing thing about God. He's, he's no respecter of persons. He wants to be known by us. And he reveals himself to us as far as we can bear it, as far as we can. This is the thing that gives me hope, even as, even as I, you know, I read this and think, oh man, all these, all these distractions. Because one of the, the first thing he does, the first thing he says is, uh, we, we go apart into the lofty mountain of solitude, being alone, which is free from all disturbance of thirstly thoughts and troubles. That's like definitely the monastic there, right? <laughs> You're going away from all earthly thoughts and troubles. Um, and, and, but, but then the other things here are actually what, what really, struck me secure from the interference of all sins and being exalted by pure faith and the heights of virtue so there's there's your three bits we want to be free from all earthly cares as we pray in the liturgy uh uh, we want we want to be secure from the interference of all sins and we need to be exalted by pure faith and the heights of virtue and, and it's the, the, the knitting together of all those three things, which kind of blew me away from the very first day that I became Orthodox and that I'm still learning now. Orthodox Christianity is a way of life. It is all-encompassing. And we, sometimes we tend to think of Christianity as the kind of moral code. And that's only the second one that he mentions here. Uh, the, the, there is, the moral code is there, but what is it for? The moral code of the faith that we embrace is for us. It's to secure us from the interference that sin brings to our lives. As uh, the apostle says in the epistle to the Hebrews, you know, we need to lay aside all earthly cares. We need to lay aside the sin, which, uh, and sorry, that's from the liturgy. In Hebrews, he says, we need to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race which is set before us. Fascinating. Both of these things involve a certain amount of physical exercise. Climbing a mountain involves a lot of physical exercise. Running a race involves a lot of physical exercise. And this is, this is you, but, but if, you're, if you're climbing or running and you've got all this stuff on you, it's going to weigh you down. 
it's going to hold you back. You're not going to be able to do a good job of it. Uh, you're not going to win the race. You're not, you, you might get only halfway up the mountain. That's what sin does to us. It interferes. It messes us up. That's why God hates sin. Because it messes up the children whom he loves. He wants us to get rid of it so that it will stop interfering with our lives. But it's not the only thing. We need also faith. Being exalted by pure faith and the heights of virtue. We need to cultivate a, uh, our, our intestinal fortitude. We need to have guts. Uh, we, we, we've, we've got to be strong, brave, courageous, honorable. We need to cultivate all of those virtues uh, in faith. In the faith that this is actually true. That this way of life is actually meaningful. Because God exists. And he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is good. So that faith is part and parcel of this struggle against sin, which is part and parcel of our engagement, or rather our disengagement with the world. All three of these things are the way of life. And so he, um, he says, and, and our goal here, the condition of purity that we're, that we're aiming for is to enable us, the, the mind, with the inner eyes of the soul, to see Jesus either still in his humility and in the flesh, that is, in his humanity, uh, or glorified and coming in the glory of his majesty, that is, in his divinity. Uh, for those cannot see Jesus coming in his kingdom who are still kept back in a, sort, in a state of weakness. And cannot say with the apostle, if, if we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now we know him so no more. Uh, but only those can look with purest eyes on his Godhood who rise with him from low and earthly works and thoughts and go apart into the lofty mountain of solitude, which we just heard about. So our goal is to see Jesus. But our goal is not simply to see Jesus the man, Jesus the great teacher. No, our goal is to see Jesus as he was revealed to his disciples on Mount Tabor in his glory. Our goal is to see Jesus in uh, glorified, the God-man who, will, who is coming to judge the earth and all that is in it, who is coming to set all things right and to restore all things to the way that they were intended to be from the beginning. We only get to see this as far as we can bear it, but if we can increase our capacity to bear it, then we can see more. Then this is what he, he goes on to say. But Jesus is seen as well, he says, by those who live in towns and villages and hamlets. In other words, those who are occupied in practical affairs and works, but not with the same brightness with which he appeared to those who, go, who can go up with him into the aforesaid Mount of Virtues. In other words, Peter, James, and John. And this gives me hope. Talking, here's this great monastic Abba, Abba and teacher uh, who, who, um, who, you know, he says, look, Jesus is seen as well by those who live in towns and villages and hamlets. Those of us who are occupied with practical affairs and works. We can see Jesus, maybe not with the same brightness 
that those who have withdrawn to the, the, to, the, to, to the solitude of the monastery can, but we see him too. These, this way of life is our way of life too. For so in solitude he appeared to Moses and spoke with Elijah. And as our Lord wished to establish this and leave us examples of perfect purity, though he himself, the very fount of inviolable sanctity, had no need of external help and the assistance of solitude in order to secure it, yet still he retired into the mountain alone to pray, thus teaching us by the example of his retirement that if we too wish to approach to God with a pure and spotless affection of heart, we should also retire from all disturbance and confusions of crowds, so that while still living in the body, we may manage in some degree to adapt ourselves to some likeness of that bliss which is promised hereafter to the saints, and that God may be to us all in all. I love this. He says, Jesus didn't need, at least in his divinity, to get away from the crowds. He didn't need to go up on the mountain to pray. So why did he do it? Like Jesus was, he was God in, incarnate. He could speak to God at any, in any place at any time. If any one of us human beings could do so, he did it. Why, so why then did he withdraw into the wilderness to pray? Why did he go up into the mountain to pray? Why did he withdraw? And uh, you know, part of me, is that which I do tend to emphasize perhaps more the humanity of Jesus. And so I'm like, oh yeah, well, but he was, uh, that re reveals his humanity, which I think it does. But, but there is this deep truth here. Jesus didn't actually need to do any of this withdrawing or climbing mountains or any of this to, to, to pray to God. Why did he do it? He did it, Abba Isaac says, to set an example to us about what we need to do, about what we need to do in order to be able to pray. We need to withdraw ourselves from the world. This is something that, 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 we, that is necessary for us because otherwise, if, we, if and we, we're withdrawing from the world, both in terms of our life, uh, in, in terms of our faith, and in terms of just holding the world lightly. And, you know, seeking solitude where we can. If you can go up in, in Vancouver, we have lots of mountains. Go up on the mountain to pray. Try it. It's good. There's lots of great hikes here. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and try that withdrawal from the world, whether that be withdrawing into your prayer corner or actually climbing a mountain to pray. The whole of the spiritual life is here summarized as this hike up the mountain. We may be right at the beginning of the hike. And if we're going to on a hike, we do need to kind of plan out how this is going to work. We need to make sure that we don't have all stuff that we don't need that's weighing us down. We need to make sure that we have enough time to attain to where we want to get to. And then we need to actually set out on the hike. And we need to persevere because the first thing that we're going to get and we're going to encounter as the road gets steep is that it's tough. I'm tired. There's less oxygen up here. I'm, I, I'm, my, my, my feet are sore. 
I, the, the pack on my back is way too heavy. I probably packed way too much stuff. But I want to get up to the top of the mountain. And so one of the key things that is here is that prayer is work. It's hard work. But if any of you have been up to the top of a mountain, you know the experience, that literal mountaintop experience, as you look down on the world and see it spread out before you and see it at a distance, removed from you, and feel that closeness to the heavens where you are surrounded by nature and by God's beauty and by his handiwork. And whether or not we manage to actually go up physically to the mountain to pray, or whether we just enter into our prayer corner, the experience is the same. We should do so mindfully. We should do so laying aside the sin that so easily entangles us. We should do so laying aside all earthly cares. That's what's encompassed in that little tiny phrase at the beginning of, of pretty much every Orthodox prayer book. Stand before the icon and be uh, and, and, and put your mind at ease, at rest, at peace. That in itself is the beginning of the struggle. But the end goal is worth it because ultimately what we are seeking is to see Jesus, is to see the source of all meaning, is to see the one who, is, who, who perfectly embodies love. And as we come down from the mountain with the apostles, this, as we heard in the hymns, is what strengthens us, is what sustains us. It, it, this is what enables us to experience the, the sin and the horror of the world around us and sometimes inside of us that is so destructive because, because we have seen Christ glorified and we know that this ugly, sinful, hurtful, painful reality that we are experiencing in the world is not the ultimate reality. And so we can watch them crucified, crucifying Christ, knowing that he will rise from the dead, knowing that he still is the Lord of glory, even in the midst of whatever trial or tribulation or situation or injustice we may be experiencing either first, second, or third hand. And so... We need to pray. I need to pray. Uh, we need to go up into the mountain and see Jesus. May God strengthen us in this holy labor uh, that we might in this see him and glorify God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever unto ages of ages.